Hello and welcome back to One by One Podcast. This is episode seven. I'm Corinne, your host, and today I have a homie in the Zoom studio with me. You know, with this person, I've definitely wanted to have him on my previous podcast um, because at the time when I first met him through our um, collective friends or our mutual friends in the appreciation program, I was still doing that podcast, but now that it's transitioned into this new format, I was like, perfect. He, like all of my other favorite people in Toronto, wears so many different hats. So he's perfect for talking about the intersections of mental health and physical health because he has an athletic side. He has an artistic side. He has a philosophical side and he has a foodie side. So without further ado, I want everyone to welcome Nolan to today's episode. Nolan, how's it going? Hey, hey, I'm good. I'm really good. I'm really excited to uh, be here. And um, thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This of is, uh, course. I love doing these. I love them. Yeah, you have so much great insight to share. And without giving too much away, why don't you tell people what you're up to, what you do? I'm a photographer and overall creative. I hate kind of throwing that word around, but it is what it is because I do do so many different forms of art. But I would mainly say that my focus is portrait, fashion and lifestyle photography. Um, but as you're saying, as I wear many hats, uh, I was a boxing coach for five to six years and I'm still am a coach. Uh, I've been managing a coffee shop for five years as well, too, up in the North end. Shout out to the Sovereign Cafe. If you've ever been best scones in the city, Best scones. don't at me, <laughs> no cap, <laughs> no ca- honestly, no cap. And I have my own podcast with my best friend, Spencer Tora, called The Creative Herd Podcast, where we talk about the creative process of being a freelancer and also all the troubles that it comes with while also answering all the questions that we had and no one was actually willing to answer for us when we first started. I've listened to a couple of episodes from your podcast, and I think that's why I was so drawn to having you on my podcast is because I'm fascinated by the creative process. You know, it's this exchange of turning or translating your perspective, your emotions, your thoughts, and your opinions into, into something that other people can find beauty and resonance in. And Mm. that transaction is so mysterious to me as someone who's like science, biology, physiology, numbers. Um, and I think you're so uniquely qualified to speak on the synergy between mental health and creativity, because as we know, um, you know, all of the creativity that we see around us really comes from the mind first. You have to be able to manifest it in your mind um, as a start, right? So what got you into, I guess, artistic space? How did you find it? So I often credit the beginnings of my art (laughs) to finding my mom's old point and shoot camera in her like junk drawer. I know every single mom or dad has a junk drawer. And as a curious kid, you kind of go through it once in a while when they're not looking. And I found just a uh, awful digital camera in comparison (laughs) to how they are now. But I immediately fell in love. I put this such a romantic uh, perspective on this object, even as a kid. I was probably like seven years old. It was something that I could capture my growth as a kid things that were going around, I would take it skateboarding with me with all of my friends and we'd take pictures of each other's doing ollies and kickflips because (laughs) I come from a small town. And the only thing we could do growing up was just play outside. That's all we could do. And 
yeah all of my friends skateboarded we all played hockey so i was always that kid that always had my camera around with me uh trying to line up cool shots for our friends and then as we grew up it was like yo take this cool shot for my facebook page and then i was like yo do for my tumblr yeah myspace all of them <laughs> and somewhere in between it was uh it was just taking me this i found that this camera was taking me to different places and making me or allowing me to meet all these different types of people. And it really became like a vessel of communication and connectivity for me. And so those are the humble beginnings of it. And then when I moved to Toronto, I moved originally so I can make music videos. My best friend and I, Spencer, had uh, decided that we, we were going to make music videos and end up working for Drake and work for OVO. And fast forward seven years, have not worked for Drake or OVO at all. And I don't really make music videos anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was the dream and that was the goal and it didn't work out that way and so I end up picking up jobs as as a bartender as a barista as a as a boxing coach and in between I always had the one thing to fall back to which was my camera and it always allowed me to connect with people in a different space outside of my mind and it, it just became like a an attachment of my body mm. and for me my camera is the item the piece of me that has brought me to such great internal success mental physical professional so it's it's just a part of me now right and i've had the pleasure of watching you shoot you know you've done such beautiful photos for my website for the kinder kombucha feed and there is like such an ease and fluidity to how you capture. You're literally like, just, you just go for it. There's a confidence and directness. And then mm. the photos just end up being so good after, for lack of a better word. What Thank do you, you think you see in the lens that maybe other people aren't seeing? And that's what separates you as a photographer. To me, the story is always comes first. Uh, it comes before the composition which is arguably the most important part it comes before the light it becomes before the subject it to me it's since it's always been about capturing a story as a kid I, I still see that through the same lenses how can I make this feel almost cinematic how can it why does my life feel like a movie and how can I capture my work in a way that still feels like I'm in the cinema so even the way I'm directing, if I'm directing subjects like a model or however I do it, a lot of it is in motion. And a lot of it is always trying to capture authenticity. I don't love staging things. It's not necessarily my style. I have done work like that. But to me, it's how can I capture a moment in time? And then the way that I edit my photos afterwards, too, they all have like this cinematic quality because I come from a film background. So everything is kind of soft things are very emotional at times even though someone actually called my work manly the other day and i was very upset by that <laughs> how I, dare I, you my work does not have a gender it is just fluid there is a tendency for people to assign qualities or aesthetics to a gender to what we i guess have learned as heteronormative heteronormative qualities to gender it's also Monday, everyone. So cut me some slack. Uh, what, I, what I was trying to say is it can be so damaging to the artistic process and to the creator, I imagine, for someone to try to categorize or assign these very limiting boundaries around your art. 
for sure. I mean, so here's an example. I've kind of slid into a niche as of late, probably in the last two, three years. And a lot of it is honestly to the helps of our friend Jay, uh, Wall Street. Shout out to Wall Street. Who? <laughs> He's the best. Sweet man. Uh, and a sweeter man, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I shoot him a lot. One, because he's one of my best friends. Two, he always has something on the go. And three, I just think he's incredibly interesting. He kind of reminds me of like DeMar DeRozan, where like he's out there, he does the work, he's in his own heart and his mind. But after you peel back all the layers, he's really soft and there's like a, a tenderness to him. And to me, whenever I think of athletic photography, so sports photography, whether it's for a brand or it's for a supplement company, it is always a company's default to capture these like high contrast clarity very masculine energy photos even if they're photographing women it's the same kind of lighting it's harsh yeah. you're trying to find the abs the the little intricacies of each muscle in the body and i don't i'm not going to use the word hate that but i don't think that's how movement should be captured when i think of movement i think about the psychological connection i have from my brain to my body and how can I capture that? So it doesn't have to be this grotesque, this uh, very um, aggressive style of photograph. It can still be soft. It can still be, uh, it can evoke a lot of emotion from people. So whenever I shoot athletes, it's never that grit to it. It has this um, emotional quality to it. I'm never trying to get them to do a move that's going to make their tricep pop. Because <laughs> I, want, I want them to pop. And there's a confidence to wanting to capture the softness and the humanity in mm -hmm. a movement like a push-up or a kettlebell swing or whatever, rather yeah. than trying to focus on the physical form. It really sounds like you're trying to capture the metaphysical, right? Yes, exactly. I feel like I have a funny relationship with confidence as is. I, I actually grew up very, uh, I guess you could say overweight as a kid. I was very athletic, but I was always the, the chunky kid out of my group of friends. And uh, I probably leaned out when I was around 16 or 17. I feel like that body dysmorphia kind of carried on into my adult years where now uh, I'm not trying to, this is not a flex. Like I look in the mirror and I see a six pack. I see these abs. I see my shoulders defined. I see that I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life, yet where my brain goes is it goes back to my 10 year old, 12 year old self where I don't see exactly who I wanted to see and who I've been projected to see in the mirror instead of who I actually am. So the confidence I knew could never come from my physicality, even though I'm a talented boxer and I played many sports growing up, the confidence never lied on what I could create from my body. So the confidence had to come from what I can create with my mind and with my hands. And that's kind of where art took me. It was something that was so subjective and personal to me that the confidence was just flourishing within. And then I am just so lucky and so appreciative that my art has resonated with others that have now asked me to reach out and tell their story in exchange. So it's a very beautiful thing that this like personal confidence has resonated with others and allowed me into other people's intimate spaces and con connect with me on a different level. That's beyond just like the vernacular of human connection. Wow. That was so eloquently said. 
I hope your confidence is higher after that. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know if I can <laughs> get my head out of my door frame after this. <laughs> but you know, all jokes aside, that sounds very sustainable. And it sounds like a very healthy relationship with mm-hmm. creativity. Whereas in my opinion, having observed a lot of my creative friends um, in a previous generation or decades ago, the creative process could be very unhealthy. There was this trope of like the tortured artist, someone who's constantly in pain and their pain translates into beautiful art that's like heartbreakingly beautiful and and mm-hmm. um, and resonant with their audience, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much pain and self-sabotage and self-deprecation in that process that it, a lot of people end up breaking themselves down or they reach a breaking point of burnout of never wanting to approach art again is that something that you've noticed in yourself or in other artists that you've looked up to for sure I mean I can't credit this like emotional and mental maturity to myself I've actually been seeing a therapist for almost five years now I had I had a breaking point as a bartender where like I kept on saying that I didn't have enough time to do things that I want to especially creative wise because I was just grinding trying to get that dollar chasing it yeah because uh, that's what Toronto is like it's it's a very expensive city to live in and so you kind of have to pick and choose your battles and compromise things that you want versus what you need and, and that happens I- oh sorry no go it's okay I was gonna say that happens even outside of the artistic industry to anyone who is a business owner, whether you make candles or you're a photographer or you're a nutritionist, that grind and that demand, that pressure on you is so, it's so suffocating. It is. It's so suffocating. And that's what led me to have like a breakdown. I already knew that I was struggling a little bit with depression, but there wasn't a proper word for it back then, or at least not universally accepted. So much to the point where like I would tell my parents that too. And they're like, oh, don't use that word. You're just, you're sad. You're in a rut. And there's no hate towards my parents now because they fully understand what happened. But I had a breakdown. I was like, I need to see a therapist because I am at a point where I no longer can stitch together the narrative for myself. So I was that broken artist. I was the one creating stuff out of pain and I would always tell like my friends like ah, I'm not feeling uh, inspired enough to make something. And really, what I was saying was that I wasn't fucking sad enough. Sorry, can I swear on this podcast? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I just was I wasn't fucking sad enough to make things, and that is not a healthy excuse. That is not something that is sustainable, and that will lead you to copious amounts of burnouts copious amounts of nights where you're just whatever your vice is you're indulging in it so i needed to seek professional help and that's what i did it took time and it's still a process it's not something that has um wrapped up by any means i'm still always working on my mind but it's beautifully translated into uh not even a fruitful career but a fruitful life where i can now open up space for other people to share how they're feeling and if they want me to tell how they're feeling to tell their story then that is such an honor that they trust me to do so and i'm seeing so many of my other friends that are creatives starting to go see therapists now especially since the pandemic and seeing their growth has been so heartwarming and so motivative and uh it's it's 
bringing a whole another inspiring chapter to like my circle of people and it's so cool to see my friends win you know I, so yeah it's hard it's not hard not to get like emotional about it because i'm just so happy to see people working on themselves and really taking the time and address what they need so they can help others you know going back to this concept of confidence right it can I guess what we've been shown to be confident is the person who works the hardest, who does the most, who's always on the go, who always has projects, who's always saying yes to things, who's taking risks and not afraid to say, not afraid to back down. But in reality, it takes so much confidence and self-assurance to slow down and create space for yourself and make space for yourself. Yes, huge. And conscious space for yourself too. It can't just be yeah. something that you're like, yeah, it'll happen when it happens. No, no, no. You got to you gotta choose to make that time happen. Yeah. And that's something that you can start as soon as possible, which kind of leads us to our one step for today. So as mm. you know, everyone listening, One by One is a podcast where we try to highlight one thing that you can do every day to make you 1% better. You don't have to be 100% better or do a 180 in your life in 24 hours. That's not sustainable. That's way too intense. Let's just focus on taking the long road and making it all realistic and permanent. So what's the one thing that you think people can do in any profession, not even just the creative, um, to help them improve their mental health or physical health in some way, shape, or form? Hmm. Okay. This is going to sound like it, it doesn't, does not going to sound like it makes sense right off the start, but <laughs> mine is practicing conscious and active boredom and active boredom kind of a juxtaposition for most people isn't it right exactly (laughs) and what i mean by that is that so we have tons of screens around us at all times our phones our laptops our tv etc we are suffocated by screen time and i've been catching myself i can't even say for the past year i'm talking like probably a decade now that any available time that I have, I want to use that time to watch the latest episode of Ozark. I want to check what my friends are saying on Instagram. That's still a thing, right? People use Instagram. I don't use TikTok, so I don't (laughs) don't really have that. But I always want to consume something. And what that's doing to me and what I found and what my partner has outlined is that it's lacking, it's forcing me to be not be in a place of being present with myself where I'm at. And then if I'm not being present and leaving space for things to kind of come to me and to flourish, I am pretty much filled from floor to ceiling. And there's no other space to grow in my day, in my creativity, and in my mind. So when I mean by practicing conscious boredom, if I'm actually doing like a physical step towards it, it's tucking my phone away it's tucking my laptop away putting the video games down and sitting there by myself it's not meditating it's not necessarily reflection it's just being here and being bored and bored has such a negative connotation towards it but i think back to when i was a kid and when i was bored my friends weren't around i knocked at everyone's doors and they said they couldn't come out and play And my parents wouldn't allow me to play my video games. So I had to just like sit in my room. And it's those moments now that I recall it is being bored and thinking about all the cool things that I could do 
to pass my time in the future? What could I make? What could I do tomorrow? What are some fun things that I could do within my own time that doesn't rely on everyone else? I now, I'm 27. I don't feel those creative spurts anymore. I often have to etch out time in my day to be like, okay, sit down and and write something. Write to be creative. I have to... Or I, or I blame it on not feeling inspired and like, I got to go do something that's going to inspire me. I need to watch something to inspire. Yeah, that's true. But, and to be fair, it's hard to justify boredom, right? So or hard. space in the life because we have so many obligations. You got to pay rent. You got to pay the bills. You mm-hmm. have to keep up with the trends. You There's just so much to do or that we convince ourselves that we have to do. Yes. that it it becomes very challenging to feel justified in just sitting mm-hmm. still for an hour but in reality you know there's this phrase that goes in stillness we receive when you're mm-hmm. moving around even if the universe is throwing you gifts and blessings and opportunities you can't catch it if you're constantly moving when was the last time you were bored usually on the weekend i will give myself really slow mornings where i just You've been to my place. There's lots of light in the living room and so it, much. yeah, and it faces the lake. So I, I like to just sit on my couch and just stare out the window. And sometimes that leads me to microanalyzing every little thing that's happened in my week. Um, and I could spend hours doing that. Or sometimes I come up with really cool things that I want to do or goals or things that I'm, I'm reminded of that are important to me um, that come to me. So it's not always quote unquote productive. So I think people, when people go into boredom, they're like, okay, I'm expecting myself to come out of it with eight movie ideas and a billion dollar business plan. But in reality, that's not the point of that space. Exactly, exactly that. And I, I find sometimes where like, I rarely get to say it, but when I do, I, when I, I catch myself, I'm like, oh, I'm so fucking bored right now. And when I do say that, I'm like, Oh shit. That's a good thing. <laughs> I just got, I just, I just, I have time. I did it. <laughs> I have time to be bored right now. Let me just be bored. And it's great. And you're right. Sometimes it does lead to some reflection that is not, uh, that's a little bit more critical than I want it to. But the fact that I'm allowing my mind to go through this moment of exploration is so healthy. So, so healthy for growth, for stillness, for, you know, rest as well something that we often overlook you know in boredom so yeah yeah I think yeah you're so right on touching on rest because life is cyclical if you want to be active and productive in output then you have to think of it as a circle when the circle comes all the way back around to the other side then you have to do the opposite you have to give your brain time to rest and your body time to rest what do you think, so for people that are maybe starting out and implementing boredom, I think you mentioned, did you mention a time? Um, like what's the best time frame to start with for that? It really depends on like what your day-to-day looks like. If you're a nine to fiver, you know, versus a freelancer. But often there's two times that I highly recommend, which there are tons of studies, but I am not a scientist. So I'm not going to find the science on it. But first thing in the morning, I try and spend at least the first half an hour away from my phone. So, but the way I have to set that up though, is making sure that my phone is outside of my bedroom. I don't want to wake up, turn over to my side, pick up my phone and start scrolling. Uh, It's, 
you know, we can get hit with that dopamine rush and you're trying to just get stuck into it, scrolling and scrolling, and then you lose track of time. And then your brain is now filled with, with just this overstimulus, you know? So first thing in the morning, I don't touch it. I drink a bunch of water. Shout out to Corinne. She told me to do that, you know? Hydrate. <laughs> Hydrate. Uh, yeah. And as I'm drinking my water, I kind of just, what I do is I just lean against my counter and I cross my arms and I just slowly sip it. And whatever thoughts come to my mind, they come. If, if there's nothing, which is often the time since I wake up at 6 a.m., that's cool too, because it's the one part of my day where my mind is actually quiet. But then at the end of the night, which is the way trickier one, when you're when you're quote unquote bored, when you think you're bored, you're like, fuck, let me go on my phone. Let me just scroll, let me watch some things, and then I'll fall asleep. But I have to make a note around 9 p.m. because I usually go to sleep around 10, 10 30. I'll put my phone on my computer desk and I'll leave it there. I won't shut it off because I use that as my alarm clock, but I'll leave it there and I'll either lie in bed or lie on the couch and just chat with my partner or just do nothing, cuddle my dog. <laughs> and those moments are allowing me to wind down, reflect on my day, uh, absorb everything that had happened throughout the day, but you can't do that forever. So you kind of just let your mind slip into a space of incoherence and you kind of just float. And that's when a lot of my personal ideas actually come. It's usually in the evening time. I forget who said this, but they essentially said we have primitive brains that live in a modern world. Our Ooh. brains celebrate and love darkness at night. Um, but the thing is, we have all these screens that emit blue light that are often incredibly bright and sharp. And that signals to our brain that now is not the time to produce melatonin, which is the hormone that helps you unwind and feel calmness, feel relaxed right before you sleep. And that helps you enter deep REM sleep, which is that phase of your sleep where you achieve a lot of the recovery benefits, the regenerative benefits for your brain. Um, and in the presence of all of these devices and lights, you know, people say, oh, but I fall asleep to Netflix. I, I fall asleep to scrolling to TikTok. Yes, you're asleep, but it doesn't mean that you're sleeping deeply. And it doesn't mean that you're recovering adequately during your rest. So oftentimes people will wake up the next morning. They're like, oh, I, I had eight hours of sleep. Why do I still feel groggy and tired? Well, it's because you used screens for four hours leading up to bedtime and your brain didn't think it was nighttime because it was so bright <laughs> yeah isn't it's so nuts man i actually made a mistake i so i just started watching euphoria oh let me tell you you I don't watch that you don't watch that before <laughs> bed you, you just don't but i did it because i was so enthralled by it i was intrigued i was like okay and it was so it's so fucking dark dude that like yeah it was not, the worst call and i woke up the next no. morning feeling awful i felt yeah. hung over because it was just emotionally taxing and my brain was I not bet. ready to consume that i, I bet think. yeah it, it is not for people with fragile mental health which is why i don't watch it mm. uh but I, i'm sure like one of these days i'll break down because all the memes everyone seems to be having a ball with the memes on social Love media it. and i just don't understand any of it <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i that's me i fell victim to wanting to know what these memes were about <laughs> and i think i'm gonna take a break from it i'm two episodes in and i'm like you know what that's good <laughs> that's good for now you know yeah yeah and from a previous conversation you you made a really good point which is you were creative 
before we had all this technology. And so it is possible for people to create ideas and to create beautiful things in the absence of all of the content and entertainment and quote unquote inspiration that they can find online. Mm, I've been definitely a victim to that, just having to consume, thinking that that's going to strike uh, a moment of just blissful creativity. And it, I've proven myself hundreds of times that that's, that's not it at all. What inspires you as a late? And I know you don't classify yourself as a creative, but there definitely is a creative side, especially when you're creating your kombucha recipes, the way you want to market it, the way you want to market your entire business as an nutritionist, like that takes a creative flair. So I was wondering what kind of strikes your creativity as of late. Movement is a part of creativity too, for me. It's, mm-hmm. that's a sense of self-expression. When I'm exerting myself doing a heavy front squat, I feel like I am so hyper-present. I'm only focused on the form of that movement and how to maximize that one rep. Boxing to me, I always tell people when I'm teaching, when I'm coaching and first starting out is that boxing is just another dialect of dancing. Your body is a canvas, the way that it moves, it's artistic, it's in the fluid and uh, flow state of mind and your body kind of just becomes one with the motions. So like even my old coach, my OG coach, he would put on uh, reggaeton and he's like, yo, if you can't dance to this, you're not going to be a boxer. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And he would wait for like, there was one time where it took me an hour to catch like my rhythm and make me feel like in the pocket as he called it. And to me having that physical outlet and being creative with my body perfectly translated into creativity in my mind and into my art the process of creating really is just removing obstacles for yourself removing limitations for yourself right and just letting yourself translate into whatever form it takes for a dancer that's just getting out of your head and getting into your body and just doing what feels right in that moment or doing the routine with the emotions that's coming up in that moment and then for photographers it's like Again, getting out of your own head, removing any obstacles that are keeping you from creating your art. And same thing for nutritionists too. There's so much limiting self-talk and limiting beliefs. Beautifully said. Thanks, friend. (laughs) (laughs) Tell people at home where they can find you on your website, social media, all that. My website where you can find my portfolio is www.bynolanbegley.com. My Instagram handle is just my name, Nolan Begley, but I removed the vowels because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hipster bitch. She's a millennial. I'm a millennial. From uh, Toronto specifically. <laughs> uh, and the only one plug, my YouTube, just my name, Nolan Begley. I started a YouTube channel and where I talk about my creative process and I bring you into my life. It's not a how to do things. It's not a tips and tricks. It's a, Hey, come look at how I do it. And maybe you can learn something from it too. So yeah. So sick. And one more time, what's the name of your podcast? The creative herd podcast available on all platforms. (laughs) And for everyone (laughs) at home, you can follow one by one podcast on Instagram as well. It's at 1x1podcast. And again, I was trying to do some millennial Toronto shit with the 1x1, but it's red as one by one. Okay, everyone, thank you so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Smile for the camera. Take a pic. (laughs) Good night.